Welcome. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network. This is the Liberty Mom Show. I'm your host this morning today, Delane England, and we have a great show for you. And remember, Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the we are there when it comes to defending our homes and our families and our communities. And I am so happy to have you join me today, and we have a lot to cover. There is so much happening in the world today. It is really unbelievable. It is amazing. Things have just ramped up. We're going to be talking about the absolute foundation of freedom and liberty, and that is the laws of nature and nature's God. We're going to be talking about our unconstitutional mandate, that has been given to us by the federal government um, through OSHA and stating, stating that everyone who has a business with a hundred or more employees must force them to get vaccinated or they can get tested every week, which is extremely, it's extremely violation of privacy and extremely expensive. And so we've got a lot to talk about. Like I said, there's a lot happening, but, I really feel like one of the things that we don't really teach in society, and as a school teacher, I know that it's not being taught in and hasn't been taught for a long time because whenever I have conversations with a lot of my friends, I realize that when you're missing this foundational piece, it's hard to put the rest of the pieces together. It's really hard to understand a lot of other things. And what we we have done is we're really doing a fantastic job of turning our amazing republic into a democracy and we're doing that through the way that we're treating when you treat a republic as if it is democracy before you know it it can turn it into a democracy and if you remember when benjamin franklin when he when they got through the constitutional convention and he was leaving independence hall mrs lewis was standing outside the steps and she said Dr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. So the question always is, what did he mean when he said, if you can keep it? Well, there's many things that we have to do, or several, that we have to do to keep a republic. And one thing they said was that we must be a moral people. We must have a, we must abide by our moral compass. Another thing is that we must absolutely educate our children and our future leaders. They must be educated on our constitution and on the laws of nature and nature's God. And that we must elect moral and good people of integrity to represent us. And we have to understand the constitution in order to really uphold it. 
So I wanted to talk about the laws of nature and nature is God today. If you've ever read the Declaration of Independence, you'll recognize that term right at the very beginning. And the reason that Thomas Jefferson put it in there is because it is absolutely foundational. It is essential to our freedom and our liberty to to understand this because every single freedom we have is based on that. And I would like to extend an invitation today. A, a really a challenge, and I have made this challenge to my students for, I don't know, the last probably 10, maybe 12 years in when I'm teaching them, and I, at the very beginning of the year, and I challenged everyone to memorize the Declaration of Independence, short the 27 grievances. I haven't really challenged anyone to do that because I haven't ever done it. And I felt like the first time I challenged my students to memorize a declaration, I felt like I couldn't expect them to memorize it if I didn't memorize it myself. So I decided to, even as an adult, as an old person, to memorize the declaration. And I just want to tell you, it completely changed my life. It, it absolutely has had so much impact in my life. And I consider the declaration one of the most amazing documents if not the most, it's just amazing. And you really learn to understand something so much better if you memorize it, and also it becomes a part of who you are. It, be, it implants itself into your DNA. You change who you are and your whole thought process, the way you see everything, the way you interpret it, the way that you understand it. And because it is so foundational to our nation, I just felt like our students, my our, my students and our youth, our children, our future generation, if they would memorize it, it would just make them leaders and be prepared to lead the future. And so I would challenge everyone here to memorize that. There are only 12 stanzas, 12 paragraphs. So if you take one paragraph a week, four months, you will have it. And if you say, I'm going to memorize one paragraph a month, in a year, by this time next year, you will have it memorized. And that would be a great Christmas present to give to your family. And if you're a young person, I'm just telling you, if you memorize the Declaration of Independence and recite that to your parents for a Christmas present, that will be one of the greatest Christmas presents that you could ever give your parents. Or as parents, you could give to your children. But I can just promise you, um, when young people will recite that to their parents and their grandparents, they will be dazzled. They will just be overwhelmingly thrilled. And you might even even go to your parents or grandparents and ask them, hey, if I memorize the Declaration of Independence, would you be willing to pay me or give me some kind of reward or something that you want? Hey, you might as well you know, get a little, little mileage out of it, right? So um, I, I always reward my students when they memorize it because I am dazzled. So at the very beginning, as I said, it's it says the laws of nature and nature's God and that we must obey. And if you think about it, this is so self-evident. And that's what Thomas Jefferson and, and Cicero and the Blackstone and all the founders, they, they said, you know, the laws of nature and nature's God are really, they really are self-evident. You could go to the legislature and you, they could work all day and pass a law that says we don't want gravity to work. We're, we're just not, we're going to pass a law say gravity cannot be in effect every Saturday. We just want no gravity on Saturday. Would that law have any impact on the law of gravity? Clearly not. Clearly not. 
If you've never heard of gravity, you don't even believe in it, you don't even know that it exists, and you jump off of a tall building saying, I don't believe in gravity, will gravity have any less impact on you? No, it doesn't. Your belief in something doesn't impact the truth. It has no impact on the truth. It only impacts you. And so that is really important to understand these laws of nature and nature's God. The laws of nature are kind of the laws of what we would term nowadays science. And the laws of God would really be the laws of human nature, the laws of us as humans interacting and how we can be successful and prosperous in interacting with one another through those laws and interacting with God. And Cicero really did spend quite a bit of time understanding the natural law. And he said, this is a quote from Cicero, and I I just want to say it the way he said it because I want to use his words. They're excellent. But the most foolish notion of all is the belief that everything is just, which is found in the customs of laws of nations. What is of the many deadly, the many pestilential statutes which nations put in force. These are more, these no more deserve to be called laws than the rules a band of robbers might pass in their assembly. For if arrogant and unskilled men have prescribed deadly poisons instead of healing drugs, these cannot possibly be called physicians' prescriptions. Neither in a nation can a statute of any sort be called a law, even though the nation, in spite of being a ruinous regulation, has accepted it. So in other words, it doesn't matter if you pass all these laws. If they violate the laws of nature and nature's God, it's just like a band of robbers. It doesn't really make any difference. It doesn't make for prosperity or for freedom or for liberty. And all laws must be measured by God's law. That's how you should measure every law. And the essence of an evil law cannot be mended through ratification of the legislature or by popular vote. You can't take an evil law and have the legislature or popular vote pass it and say that's a good law now because that happened. Justice can never be expected from laws that arbitrarily passed in violation of standards set up under the laws of nature or the laws of the creator. So I think that this, it seems to be self-evident, but I know that it's something that hasn't been taught to most people. So we kind of have to think about it, chew on it, and let it rest in our brains. Um, Okay, another quote from Cicero is, but the principles of justice were founded on the decrees of people's but excuse me, but if the principles of justice were founded on the decrees of people, the edits, the edicts of princes, or the decisions of judges, then justice would sanction robbery and adultery and forgery of wills in case these acts were approved by the votes or decrees of the populace. Is that not so true? If we considered justice based on what people voted for, Think of how dangerous, and you can see that happening in this very day. You see people being tried in the halls of public opinion 
rather than the halls of justice, rather than the halls of the rule of law. And how dangerous this is. People are not receiving true justice. It is so great of a power belongs to the decisions and decrees of fools that the laws of nature can be changed by their votes. Can you imagine if you could change the laws of nature by people voting differently? If a law can make a justice injustice, can it not also make good out of bad? And so when you think about it, just to kind of drill it down, all laws, true laws, must be founded on the laws of nature. And if you think about what freedom is, freedom, people go, oh, I'm, I live in a free country. I can do anything I want to. That's not freedom. That's agency, but that's not freedom. Freedom is that when you live in a place, you are free to do what you ought to do. That is true freedom. Liberty is liberating yourself either physically or spiritually and emotionally and mentally from the bonds of, from the ties of bondage, from physical or spiritual or emotional bondage. You're truly freeing yourself. You're choosing of your own free will to not engage in things that violate the laws of God. You choose not to. When you choose freedom, then you always stay free. But the minute you choose to violate the laws of God, you've literally chosen bondage. And then you're no longer free to choose. As long as you choose freedom, you will always remain free. Every choice of freedom continues on the next choice to still choose to be free. But the minute one of our choices chooses to violate God's law, we have chosen bondage. And then we are no longer free to choose what we want to. And so I I just think it's such an important principle for us to understand and a very important principle to teach the next generation, to teach our children and our grandchildren and uh, those around us. And once they can understand that, it changes the whole world for them. It changes their world. They realize the rule of law is not there to bind them, to control them. The rule of law is there to free them. The rule of law truly gives us freedom. If you think about if we lived under anarchy, because oftentimes we we think, oh, if I could just do anything I want, wouldn't that be wonderful? And if you present this to children, even, even children nowadays really start to understand. What if you went home and there were no rules? There were absolutely no rules. You could do anything you want, but it also means anyone else can do anything they want. How safe would you be? How free would you be? How happy would you be? There would be complete anarchy, which means no one is free. No one has freedom and no one feels secure and no one is able to really be happy or thrive. So, but we don't, we also don't want to live under tyranny where we have a great deal of suppression and a great deal of being controlled. We don't want that because when we're controlled, we're not able to choose for ourselves and to choose to be free and to choose to do what we ought. If we're forced to do what someone thinks we ought, then we are no longer free spirits. We're no longer free agents. And then we are being controlled by someone else. And we, we know that, that it never produces good results. When someone else is controlling us, we only choose good because we're being controlled. We are never really free. 
and we don't choose wisely. And, and it, re, it repulses our spirits. We're really, our spirits are repulsed by that because we don't want to be pushed and controlled. Although I guess there are some people who don't mind being controlled. It fascinates me because I'm a person who does not like to be controlled. I really push against it. But I have noticed in the last two years, the people who want to control other people also, in many instances, don't mind being controlled. And in the same light, those who want to be controlled, they're saying, tell me what to do. You can make my decisions. You tell me what to do. You tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I will do it. Those people also want to control other people. They want to tell me what I'm supposed to do. They want me to make my choices to keep them aligned with their choices. And, and I just find that really interesting. Controlled is kind of contagious. People who want to control. And, you know, as parents, don't we all fall into that category every now and then? Are <laughs> we like, wouldn't it be nice to be able to control our children and have them do what we want? And as employers, don't we want to sometimes control our employees and make them do what we want? And, and honestly, as business owners, we do get to do that to some degree. Like when you're at work, you're going to do what I want. You're going to wear what I want, say what I want you to say, be how I want you to be, perform a certain way. We get to have that control over people. So the key is to not let that become our master that we can control other people, but can continue to allow respect other people and respect their right to choose and their freedom because free agents always produce more. Think about this. Who produces more a free man or a slave how hard does a slave work a slave works just hard enough to keep from being beaten just hard enough to keep from having horrible consequences a free man how hard will a free man work they will work as hard as they want to they will go for it because when a free man knows that they get to keep the rewards the proceeds of their labors there is nothing that they won't stop at. They will produce so much more. So we know by human nature, the laws of God, that we will produce more, we are happier. Things are so much better when we are free to choose for ourselves. Is choosing to do what we ought to do. Okay, so I hope that everybody will kind of delve into that and think about that. I think it's a great topic for the dinner dinner table and the evening with the family. I think it's a great topic to see where everybody, how everybody feels and to help people understand that. Um, I also wanted to talk about something that I think is super important right now is we're getting, we just had uh, election day and we were able to hopefully vote. Hopefully people got educated and voted. And in the state of Utah, we are coming up a, as we prepare for the votes of next year, we have a whole year, but in, in Utah and, and several other states, I think 17 other states, maybe not that many, have some form of a caucus system. They might call it something different, but some form of a way of preparing their people for their elections versus a democracy. So I want to talk about why our founders chose a republic instead of a democracy. Of course, they, they obviously didn't want to choose a monarchy. They didn't want to choose a dictatorship. But they certainly considered a democracy. But with the founders, without exception, spoke quite eloquently and clearly about a democracy, saying the problem with the democracy, they only last 30 to 40 years at the most. 
they literally commit suicide. They don't last. They can't last. Because you think a democracy is straight up the majority or the mob. Because even in a democracy, it doesn't necessarily have to be the majority. Because you can have a mob that controls the other people. The mob can, through bullying or through torture or terror, control other people and become in charge of the majority. And if you just had, if you just think about, if we just voted, everybody in our state voted for everything, would people make the best decisions? Would they make better decisions than people who really get informed and get educated on an issue and then really know it, which one is going to produce a better outcome? So the founders were very clear. We definitely did not want a democracy. And the republic produced by far the greatest outcomes. So I'm just going to just briefly go into the difference between a democracy and republic. So a republic, it has three things that make it a republic. Now, representative government is a part of a republic, but you can also have representative government in a democracy. A democracy can still elect people to represent them, but then everything is decided based on the majority. Now, here's what makes a republic so incredibly amazing and it really, really makes it effective. Every individual right is protected in a republic. Now, I think in, in a democracy, it's mob rule. It's majority rule. So whose rights are protected? Only if you're in the majority or if the majority of people say, yeah, I want to respect the rights of the minority. We're going to give them rights too. Okay, that can happen, but basically there's no real protection. That can be a whim. That can happen, change in a nanosecond. So the only rights protected in a democracy are the majorities. But in a republic, the founders, they did not want that. They wanted to make sure that every individual's rights were protected. And that only happens in a republic. There is no other form of government where every individual's rights are protected. And, and so that is one of the big dangers of a democracy. That's only one of them. Another part of the republic is rule by law. So a rule by law is ever so important because in a democracy, again, what are the rules? They're decided by the whims of the majority or the whims of the mob. Those, those laws or those rules come and go it, on a regular basis. There's nothing solid or concrete there's nothing, it doesn't have to be written, it doesn't have to be in code. Um, just whatever we vote on today, that's what the rule is. So think of how dangerous that can be. Think of it in real life terms. What if the majority of people vote and say, we only want white people to have rights? So people of color have no rights. That would that can you imagine? Can you imagine living in a country? like that. It's happened. Would you want to live in that kind of country? Vice versa. Would you want to live in a country where only people who have black hair have rights? Everyone with black hair gets to have rights. They get to make all the decisions, but anyone outside of that doesn't. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back and we're going to finish talking about the caucus system.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense. We are the original defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities, and we're so happy to have you join us. This is Delane England. I'm so happy to have you be with us today and hope that you are learning tons and that you are enjoying the time that you have with your family. We were talking about the difference between a republic and a and a um, democracy, and so we're talking about the the rule of law and how in a democracy you just kind of make up the rules as you go along. They just can change. They change because you're voting on them regularly, and you just change those rules. Where in a republic we have a written down we have a constitution which is the supreme rule of law, and we have it written so we know exactly what the rule is and that is put into into a contract so that everyone in the community knows what the rules are so the law is written and we have that law so it can't be well you know what i don't really like her and so i want to go after her so then we just change the rules and you just change it you change the law and um and the majority of people can say, okay, we're, we're going to go after them now. We're going to go after that person or that group of people. We're going to go after that minority. That is what the founders absolutely wanted to make sure never happened. And so they made it very clear that groups of people, no groups have rights. The rights come from our creator, and they come to us individually, that we're individuals. And so they wanted every individual person to have their rights protected. And they did an amazing job. I mean, they did such a great job in the Constitution, and especially it's so articulate in the Bill of Rights, especially the 6th, 7th, and 8th Amendments, how they really covered our due process to protect the rights of, the, of every individual, whether you're guilty or innocent. All Everyone's rights are such a great balance. It's just amazing. It's just so incredible, so genius how they're able to protect the rights of the innocent and still make sure we're able to find as much as we can, even protect the guilty, but be able to find them and hold them accountable. And there's just this great balance there. So because of the rule of law in a republic, every individual's rights are protected. Those work very much in conjunction with each other, which is never going to happen in a democracy. The other thing that makes a republic so amazing and is so vitally important is that in a republic, we take an oath to uphold the office. Every single person in the United States who's elected to a position takes an oath of office. And they take an oath not just to uphold their state law if they're elected to a state position, but they take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Every position takes an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States. Then they also take an oath, if they're in a state level, then they would take an oath to uphold their state constitution as well. And I I think that is so telling, because that is how important the supreme law of the land is, our Constitution. And this is where we, that, that oath is so very, very important, saying that they will uphold the Constitution under all under all circumstances. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say that they will uphold their con- their conscience. 
Now, oftentimes I hear elected officials say, well, I voted this way because I had I, I followed my conscience. And as people, we go, oh, that seems really reasonable. We're like, that's a great idea. Follow their conscience. Because shouldn't we be able to do what our conscience says? Unfortunately, many people are able to rationalize their consciences to do things that are not aligned with the laws of God and the laws of nature. We use emotion and we use rationalization sometimes to say, well, you know, I, I, I deserve that. Well, they just, they had that coming. They deserve that because they did this and this and they did this. And so I, I really, it's all right that I did that. People have human nature. We have an ability to do that. And that's why the founders did not want us to take an oath to uphold our conscience. That's why we take an oath to uphold the Constitution, both state and, and federal. And so that is something that we don't find anywhere else. You don't take an oath to in, in a monarchy. You don't take an oath in a, a democracy. They never take an oath. And so that is something very sacred and very unique to republic. And that we need to hold our elected officials to and remind them sometimes in the nicest, most polite way possible that they took a sacred oath between them and us and God to uphold the rule of law, the, the Constitution itself. And so they can't just change it and say, well, I think this would be better. And that, I think, is a really important when we're thinking about the current situation. Regardless of what is happening, regardless of what pandemic or what kind of serious nature or tragedy we might be suffering, there's no place in the Constitution that says this is put on hold while we deal with that stuff. The Constitution is still held. It's still Violet, we it is still important, and we and we can handle all of those crises and all those tragedies and keep the constitution in place because of the way the constitution is written and put and laid placed out. We're able to still um, protect everyone's rights and do that in a balanced manner. So the reason that I wanted to talk about the republic is because the caucus system that we have in the state of Utah is fashioned after the Republic, and it's done in such a great way. I love the caucus system, and I know there are a lot of people that think, you know, it's it's been attacked. It's been under attack for this last at least eight, if not more years. It's been under great attack, and we've, it's taken some serious hits. But I would like to explain why the caucus system is so much better than, again, democracy. If everyone goes out and they vote for their candidate, that is that the democracy. Everyone goes out and votes for who they want to represent them. But think about it in this world, and even in your city, if you run for, say, mayor, the mayor, how many people are in the city that would vote for mayor or city council people? For most cities in, bound, in the state of, not Bountiful, most cities in the state of Utah, most cities would have well over 100 to 300,000 people. So if you're a candidate running, would you be able to meet and visit with and talk to even half of the people, your constituents? It's not possible. It absolutely is not possible. How can a legislator who usually has 300,000, uh, 100 to 300,000 constituents, how can they even talk to those who they would like to have them vote for them. It's not realistic. It's not possible. 
And, and so the people that vote for them are having to make their decision, not by any really being educated or really being up on the issues. They're voting based on maybe some robocalls, maybe some radio commercials, some postcards that got mailed to them. And, you know, how many people go to a meet and greet? That is a great thing to go where you can actually visit with the people, the candidates that are running, ask them the hard questions, talk to them, look them in the eye, feel their spirit, ask them questions and look in their eye and see and listen to what they say to you and then see what they say to maybe someone else, see if their their um, answers are consistent. But the caucus system, what how that works is every year in March, the entire state of Utah is divided into neighborhoods. And so you go to a neighborhood caucus meeting, which means everyone in your neighborhood that is, is invited. And that's even, kids are invited. They are welcome to go. But everyone that is a registered voter, anyone 18 and older who chooses to register, can go to the caucus meeting of their political party. And they can go to that meeting and they can just go and elect someone to represent them or they can go and become a delegate, be the elected person. Well, I would invite every single person listening, if you live in a state that has a caucus meeting, to make a point to go to your caucus meeting. And if you feel inclined to run to be a delegate, because this is what the delegate does. A delegate will run or become elected by to represent their neighborhood. They are like a legislator for the neighborhood. And what they do is they're not going to vote for laws, but what they are going to do is they're going to go and they're going to vet the candidates. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think a person making a decision decisions based on flyers and maybe a phone call or um, radio commercials or a person who goes and meets the candidates personally and visits with them which one do you think is going to have a better chance of making a good decision on who should represent the neighborhood? Obviously, when you go meet with someone and talk to them one-on-one or maybe even in a group of people, you're going to get so much more information. You're going to get to know that person. So that is the beauty is that the delegates get to know and they're going to make far wiser, better decisions. They're going to have much more information to make that decision. And um, it also creates a relationship between the delegate and the candidate, which means when that election happens and that candidate becomes an elected representative, they have a relationship with the delegate. The delegate has a relationship with the candidate, with the person that they voted for. Think about how incredibly important that is. If you just vote for someone and they do something like right now we're dealing with mandatory vaccinations. If you don't know your representative and your senator, you're sending them an email and they don't know you. How much weight does it carry versus if you have a relationship, if you're a delegate, you have a relationship with them. You call them on your phone or you text them or you you call them and say, hey, this is the lane hey, what are you thinking about this? I'm very concerned. This is such a violation of our Constitution. You can actually have a conversation. See where they are. See what they're thinking and say, what can I do to support you? What can I do to help you? Um, And then you can share, this is what's happening at my work. This is what's happening with my company. If we have to do this at my business, it will be devastating. It will be just really, it will probably cost us so much. It will 
it will shut our business down. So you can have a real personal conversation and a real relationship with them, which we know everything in life is about three things, relationships, relationships, and relationships. It all boils down to your relationships with people. So that is ever so true with politics. So think about as a candidate, if you are trying to run and all you have to do is just send a bunch. You just have to have enough money to send out a bazillion postcards and door hangers. And that's what you do to run and, and signs, yard signs. Um, is it really highly possible and probable that you're going to have some not so great candidates slip through the cracks where if those candidates have to meet with real life people, and be answered to the hard questions, and then they really have to represent the people. They, the people have a much better chance and a much better way to, to hold the elected people accountable to what they said and what they do. And again, the relationships are very, very powerful. So I invite everybody to start thinking now about becoming a delegate. That will happen in March. I'm sorry, I should know the date, but it's like the 26th or something around there. It's um, on a Tuesday. I'm sorry, I should have looked that date up, and I apologize. I didn't. But it's right around there. It's right after the legislative session ends. And and here's some of the rules that you can do in Utah. You can take three ballots with you. If you have friends or neighbors that you want to go, you can go to them and say, hey, I'm going to run to be a delegate. I'd like you to nominate me or I'd like you to come and vote for me. You can do that. You can go around and you can run. You can campaign and you can say, I'm going to run. And you can take, if you have, oh, your neighbor's like, I have to work that night. I can't come. They can actually get a copy of their driver's license, copy of their ID, and put down who they want to vote for, even though they don't know all the candidates who are even running, but they can put that in an envelope and seal it. And you can take up to three with you to the caucus meeting that night. And so again, get informed on the issues, get up to speed, know what you're doing, but get, get armed and get prepared and go. And you will, you will have an opportunity to give a one to two minute speech. Talk about the things that will really bring and your neighborhood together what things that are common to your 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 neighborhood and to your caucus meaning to the attendees there and so give that speech and then if you get elected you will be representing them so you also have an obligation to bet the candidates and i ask you to please bet them at least three if not four times go to four different events or call them or meet them and and um get several of the other delegates together and meet they, their time is precious, so if you can get, you know, 10 delegates in your area in several surrounding areas together and meet with these candidates, that's very helpful for them, also helpful for you. It's really great when delegates do that because you get to hear the questions that they ask you. Like, I didn't even think about that. So you'll get a bigger, broader perspective, and you also learn about the different delegates and where, where they're coming from. And um, that will be very helpful because you will, I can guarantee you, you will elect much better candidates who will stand with our constitution, who will stand up and stand for freedom and liberty, who will recognize those principles. And so I would invite everybody, when you memorize the Declaration of Independence, you are definitely going to be much better prepared to vet the candidates or to become either run for office or to become a delegate, which is running for office. So um, I would I would hope that everybody would make a point to at least go to their caucus meeting and, and if not, run, find somebody that you think would be great to run and, 
and help them get in. Okay, so I'm going to just make a real quick announcement. We have David Gowdy, who is just this amazing man. He is the founder of Washington Jefferson Madison Institute. He's also the executive director of the George Washington Center for Constitutional Studies in Virginia. And he's on the, he is the board of director of the Thomas Jefferson Heritage Society. This guy is a great constitutionalist. He's amazing. He's a great speaker. And he's coming to Utah next week. So on Wednesday, November 10th, he is speaking at two places. One, he's speaking in Bountiful at the Bountiful Library at noon. And he is so interesting. I promise you will love him. It is a free event. 12 to 1 o'clock, you'll get to hear David Gowdy speak, and he is going to be speaking on All Men Are Created Equal. He will also be speaking at 6 o'clock that night in at the Provo Library in Provo. So find which place is closest to you and make a point to go hear him. He's fantastic. And one of the things, and again, his subject is All Men Are Created Equal. And in his when we invited him to come, he sent me um, a great um, paper written by Justice Clarence Thomas, and it's about the Declaration of Independence, and it is awesome. So I'm sending that out to everyone I'm inviting to the events so that they can read this paper before they attend. And he wrote this on September 16th, 2021. So this was just written this year. And as I'm sure all of you know, I'm sure there's not a person out there who doesn't know what happened on September 17th, 1787, that being Constitution Day. So he wrote this kind of as a Constitution Day paper. He wrote it on the 16th. And um, if you would like to Google this, you can find it on you know, I can just find it on the web. The Declaration of Independence by Justice Clarence Thomas, written on September 16th, 2021, Tocqueville Lecture at Notre Dame University. So you can look it up that way. And I'm just going to um, just take a few of his comments and just talk about them because they're just a few lines from his from this paper. It is just from his speech, basically. And he says, I'm sure you, you all are somewhat aware of my aversion to esoteric theories that have little or remote bearing on day-to-day life, past or present. I just love that. So it's so true. Because he said, it could be that that case, that having grown up with people who did not have the luxury of contriving theories unrelated to daily life, I have become uncomfortable with a deductive approach to reasoning. So I just love that because, like, let's not spend our time going about reason about theories. Let's just deal with reality. Let's just dive in and deal on reality. And he said, my family's friends and neighbors' subsistence depended on a more inductive, experiential approach. They did what worked. That was based on experience, not on theory. What a great idea. So he was raised in the 1950s and the 60s, and he said when the world, when he started to grow up, was quite different than the world is today, obviously. Um, He said, um, let's see, I mean much more than that, than just that it was different, kind of the whole race-based thing. Um, 
He said, in the 1950s, there was, of course, pervasive segregation and race-based laws. So he grew up when there was this segregation and race-based laws, which were repulsive and at odds with the principles of our country. Absolutely. How can we live in this country that says every single individual's rights are protected? We believe in equal rights, equal justice for every single person. And yet, in America, he grew up in the 50s with segregation and race-based laws. So these laws were a violation of the laws of nature and nature's God, even then. But this is what I really love. This is so inspiring. In his, He says, in my generation, one of the central aspects of our lives was religion and religious education. The single biggest event in my early life was going to live with my grandparents in 1955. My grandfather was a Catholic convert and very devout. And so he said, I was taught paradoxically and experientially to navigate through, survive the negativity of a segregated world without negating the good that there was. And I think that is so powerful. And he said when he went to the Catholic church, Catholic school, he was taught, one of his nuns, teachers, asked him this question, which is a great question to ask everybody. Why did God create you? And he said every day in unison, our class would get up, and there were 40 kids, and they would answer loudly, reciting the Baltimore Catechism. God created me to know love and serve him in this life and to be happy with him in the next. What a great answer. And he says, you know, I have yet to hear a better explanation of why we are here. And I couldn't agree with him more. What a great explanation. And he said, because I'm a child of God, there is no force on this earth that can make me any less than a man of equal dignity and equal worth. This is a priori truth that was repeatedly restated and echoed throughout the segregated world of my youth. I love that, how he was taught that. This accepted truth reinforced our proper roles as equal citizens, not the perversely distorted and reduced role offered us by Jim Crow. So uh, it was it was great. He was taught to not become immersed in this, and even though he wasn't treated equally, he knew in himself that he was equal. And he said his grandfather held fast to this belief. In God's eyes, we were all equal, and because of that, not only did we deserve to be treated equally, but we also were required to conduct ourselves as children of God. We were to live our lives according to his word. I think that is just great advice for every single one of us that we can all take to heart that we are to be good, we are to be productive and loyal citizens. And he said, and that this was our country. Even those who were not treated right and equally, they said, not only was it their country, but no one could deny us that inheritance. Nor were to we disinherit ourselves by rejecting our own country and our birthright of full citizenship. And I think that is just so beautiful and inspiring. So I welcome everybody to invite everyone to get that um, paper, that his speech and read it. It's fantastic. And I hope everyone will make a point to come to one of the two events in Bountiful and Provo. And I invite you all to remember that you are 
the protectors of your liberty. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.